Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, we've got uh, two guests on this one. Um, These were both recorded out in uh, Redondo Beach, California at Trip Fuller's Theology Root Beer Camp. Turns out the word root was not actually in the title. Um, They told me it was and turned out to be a big lie. Thanks a lot, liars. Anyway, these were recorded at uh, Theology Beer Camp with Trip Fuller. But uh, the two episodes, it's really one episode. I don't know. There's two guests. One episode, two guests. Twice the guests, same amount of podcasts. The first one is James Younger, who is one of the executive producers on The Story of God with Morgan Freeman, a show on National Geographic, Nat Geo as the kids call it. And so the first part of the podcast, we're talking about the show, Story of God, with... uh, James Younger. Second part, we talked to uh, Barry Taylor, who does have a uh, podcast that he does with Trip Fuller about the story of God. I believe it's called The Godcast. And um, we talk about the show for about four seconds at the end. Um, we talk about some other stuff in there. But um, it's good. It's interesting. A lot of accents up in here. None of them are fake. None of them are Australian either. So enjoy. No, no, I'm from LA. I mean, I lived in LA for twenty, almost twenty years. Oh, okay. Yeah. You came, you came over for film industry. I came over in, uh, yeah, I came over. I was working for the BBC, and they, and I okay. got a, uh, I started making a film about NASA. NASA. In 1999, I went to JPL, and I did this film about all of the, like, you know, like kind of like a. All it was called the planets. It was like all the all the missions they'd sent to Mars and mm-hmm. Venus and Jupiter and Saturn and Uranus and Carl Sagan and all that sort of stuff. And so I was here for two years making that film. And at the end of two years, they were like, "Come back to BBC in West London." And I was like, "I'm living nah. in Venice by the beach. It's pretty good. I'm gonna yeah. stay." Yeah, so I think I would have made that move too. Now I I did some research and yeah. I found some very important thing on your IMDb page. Mm. Um, you did a thing on sharks. <laughs> I absolutely love sharks. I could yeah. do an entire podcast on that, but I will try to refrain from that. But, yeah, that shark show was really interesting. Yeah, it was a uh, anatomy of a shark bite. It was yeah. one of the big kind of shark, shark Week shows for Discovery, like two thousand three. Yeah, and it was my first real kind of like really like American tabloid <laughs> film I'd ever made. And it was basically this, this two-hour film, a two-hour doc about a 15-second yeah. uh, clip of a guy getting bitten by a shark. Yeah, yeah, I, and I've probably seen all of them. I, I'm so deep in the shark game that I even read Peter Benchley's book about... Mm. It, it, it. I don't remember the title. It was basically, hey, I'm sorry I screwed up everyone's attitude about sharks and turned them into like this monstrous villains. Yeah. And they're really nice after all. Like I read a book that's basically saying that entire thing just because... Which I, I think is ridiculous, right? Because have you, ever, have you ever been near a shark in the wild? I was swimming once in 
I was off the in Brazil. I was mm-hmm. living in Brazil when I was younger and swimming out like a hundred feet off the shore. Mm-hmm. And I swam over some kind of brain corals, and I was like, "Oh, it's kind of way like hundred feet out from the shore." And I looked down and I saw a shark down below me. Yeah, and the bodily reaction you have to that is just horrifying. It's like your heart rate goes boom, like mm-hmm. to two hundred. You're like, "Oh crap!" You know, you just yeah, like, you're freaked out, and uh, it's like. That's honest. Yeah. That's honest Darwinian instinctual. Like these creatures are, they may be perfectly nice, but we are not meant to be within a hundred feet of each other. They're, they're twice your size yeah. and they could end your life with one yeah. exploratory bite. So yeah. the idea that they're nice or not nice is like, it's sort of irrelevant. It's like, you look, they have their space. We have our space. Yeah. Let's just, let's just agree to inhabit separate spaces. I completely agree. Yeah. I didn't even, I, I'm not even an expert, but I agree with that. <laughs> now, so you um, you get connected to uh, Morgan Freeman through yeah. some other projects before this one, yeah, right, yeah, and you get involved in this one. Uh, I read an interview that said that you personally were spiritual, but you were not part of any sort of religious community, right. Before this, that's right. As uh, as a filmmaker, do you feel like that like is an important part of telling a story about spirituality that you can be separate from it and you don't have personal emotions tied to it, or is it just I mean, obviously you weren't bitten by a shark and you did a thing about shark bites. Uh, yeah, although I'd seen the shark and realized, uh, <laughs> just, uh, you know, they were important. I, I uh, you know, I think it probably is, I don't think it is, is, um, is bad that I, I'm not part of any particular mm-hmm. denomination or spiritual, you know, religious group. Um, I think, it, I mean, you know, Laurie McCreary, who, you know, she and I and Morgan worked together, she's, she's a, you know, declared Christian, although of a fairly kind of free, free form denomination. Um, I think it's, I think it's probably good that I'm not because I just really, I don't, it helps me have absolutely zero judgment, you know, about other, about other faiths. So I look at, you know, Hinduism or, 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 you know, Lutheran or, or Catholic or, or Presbyterian or Protestant or Sufi or Shia or, they're all just like, okay, I, I, you engage with this idea of a higher power and this is the way you do it. All right. Tell me how you do it. And yeah. I, I think I'm very open to that. So it's probably helpful. See, I'm a, I'm a pastor and mm. I think it would be very difficult for me to not turn anything like this into basically like this is a fluff piece that's basically an endorsement of my livelihood because I couldn't remove the fact that I get a paycheck from this at the end of the day. I don't think I could do that. And so in some ways I think there is a, like you said, there's a benefit that you can in some ways be on the outside. Right. I'm assuming there's been a, a formational aspect of your own personal story mm. by hearing all the rest of these stories. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I, I think that I was kind of intellectually interested in the idea of God mm-hmm. before this project like I knew, you know, from like a having been a scientist and a physicist and thinking about the Big Bang and realizing that the Big Bang was kind of like a was a kind of a closed loop logic thing about where we came from and it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't answer to anything. I was like, yeah, there probably is a there must be some kind of power deity, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So I had that kind of intellectual engagement with it, mm-hmm. and as this process has gone along, it's become a much more kind of corporal like. What's the word? Like, I, I don't want to say sensual, but a sensory experience. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a, you know, I, I, I realize the kind of humanity, 
the common humanity we have about a need to to communicate with this idea. I think that's what I think that's kind of what it is, right? It's like we you have an idea that there should be a deity because it doesn't make sense that we're here mm-hmm. without something that's bigger than us. As a physicist or a scientist, I kind of thought that way. And after this project, I realized no, what's really important is that we try to engage with that mm-hmm. power in some way. We try and either prepare ourselves, sort of diminish our scale in mm-hmm. front of that power, or we figure out how to communicate with that power. Hmm. I think. Can that, you explain that diminish the scale? Well, that we are that we you know to realize that we're peons compared to yeah. this this power that you know figures out how the universe runs. Uh, whatever that might be, it might be a mathematical program or an equation or a mm-hmm. deity, whatever. You, know, you could think about it in many ways, but it is something that's bigger than our minds. Um, and then as you look around the world and see all the different manifestations of, of piety, of faith, of religion, of, of imprecation, of all these different ways in which people try and engage with and give thanks to the gods and, and live their lives via, via the divine, um, you realize that that's the that I was like, yeah, I need to. You need that. I need that in yeah. some way. So uh, Freud's big critique is that religion is all this wish fulfillment. Like we want this uh, this deity to be there, and it helps us get through all the anxieties of life and yeah. the existential crisis that we all experience. When you're hearing people tell these stories, is there a sense that? Yeah, this one right here, it really seems like you're projecting a whole lot. Or is there a way for you to have like this non-judgmental presence as you're hearing the story? Uh, mm. As like the it, your your craft is to like tell their story. Yeah. But personally, I'm sure inside you have some sort of evaluation process. Definitely. I mean, yeah, definitely. I step back from that as much as I can in the in the filmmaking process. When you're in a room with somebody, who, you know, uh, Morgan and I always laugh about this time when. We were talking to a pastor in New Orleans about about Buddhism. We were talking about the the flood of New Orleans at the time of Katrina, and uh, you know he was sort of saying that the end is a beginning, that every every end is a beginning, and the pastor was saying this at the end, this end of New or- of Katrina, this end of this current state of New Orleans becomes a beginning of a new life for all of us, and uh, we. <laughs> Uh, Morgan said, oh, that's very Buddhist of you. Everything is cyclical. Every mm-hmm. end is a new beginning. And uh, the pastor just said, nah, nah, <laughs> nah. <laughs> he was so dismissive of any other way of thinking of it that uh, I was, yeah, my reaction to that is like, why, why would you dismiss someone else's way of, way of thought? I mean, to me, that's just, that's antithetical to the way I am. Yeah, the quest for knowledge and, yeah. and wisdom. And that is a major theme in the show that you're bringing uh, this most recent episode, which we just watched, the, the second episode yeah. in the second season. You have Native American Cherokee telling their story. Yeah. You have Coptic Christians. You have Pentecostals yeah. from Albuquerque. Yeah. And so all these different stories are brought together. Yeah. Now, some struggle with if you're going to put them all together, then does it somehow diminish the significance of each of the voices? Because each of them are trying to make mm-hmm. a truth claim and say, this is how we relate to the deity. Mm. And uh, obviously this is the one that we believe to be true. How do you balance those sort of competing claims that probably some, not all religions have that, but some definitely do. You're saying that, is it, you know, the fact that you're not giving each one enough time? Or no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not making a claim mm. about that. More of, the pastor in New Orleans who says, yeah. no, I can't listen to anything that's, yeah. that's Buddhist or, yeah. uh, they're different stories that they're telling. Yeah. 
And there's one way on the outside to step back and say, well, they're all the same. They're all telling the same story, but each of them are having their own different story ultimately. Yeah. Is there a way to respect each different story while hearing them all? I think so. I mean, I, I think that, you know, hearing the Cherokee story, for instance, it was pretty powerful and, mm-hmm. and uh, seeing how ancient, I mean, my reaction to that was this story is so ancient. You know, I mean, these paintings are thousands of years old and the tradition is maybe 10,000 years old, mm-hmm. right? Um, and to hear that young archaeologist, Bo Carroll, who's both, you know, uh, it was kind of like, engaged with it academically and spiritually mm-hmm. was really interesting. Um, so I, I, I think that you can, I think that you, you, uh, you don't have to No, I think that they're, they're all different. And what we are, look, we are searching for, in a way we're searching for this commonality, but I think as people talk to each other, as, as Bo talked to Morgan and us about his faith, I think he's actively, aware that, oh, you guys come from a Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. So let me explain this to you. You know, this is the dominant culture in America, so he's aware of that. And he's actually reaching out to you and communicating, look, look, we have this tradition too. And I think people actually have a desire to share, mm-hmm. to share. They, they know, you know, they know who they're talking to. And they, I think people want to find common ground. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's most, I mean, it's not always the case. But I think it, most of the people we've spoken to, that has been the case. And I think that's the best of what religion can teach you, is to love your neighbor. Yeah. And the people right in front of you, the people you're called to love, and there's going to be different convictions, but ultimately what's best for all is for us to figure out a way to communicate and to, to love one another. Yeah. Um, so in your... In the way that you're telling these stories, obviously it's heavily based upon personal story. Like mm. uh, you ended the sef- second episode or, or towards the end of it with um, healthcare professional talking about her near death experience. Yeah. So she tells her story, and you have all these different people telling their story. Um, are, are you familiar with Jimmy Kimmel's re- reoccurring bit? I think it's called Lie Witness News, where he goes to the do, does the man on the street interview, which are, oh, yeah. and then he has some fabricated story, and people are complicit with this lie that they have no idea is a complete fabrication. Yeah. Yeah. And it just they play along. They want to say what you want to hear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, there's a book called thinking fast, thinking slow that won a Pulitzer prize for two Jewish, uh, psychologists. And it's fascinating work. And part of their, uh, one of the points that they make in this book that, that got one of them, the Nobel prize, the other had passed away before it was uh, given to the other. But was that the testimony, like in court, of a witness is often uh, very meaningless. Like it, it really can't substantiate a whole lot of a truth claim. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see the Jimmy Kimmel bit, which is just, <laughs> hey, we're not like a Nobel Prize winning research project, but this is just front and center example yeah. of that exact point. Right. Um, so there's a lot of skepticism towards like the, the man on the street or just the basic witness idea. Yeah. Your story is based on witness. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's this tension of you have to honor the stories that people are telling, but also there's a, a, a good bit of skept, skepticism that right. is warranted. How- yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's funny enough, actually, I think this season two We've actually done. We've moved a bit more towards personal stories as, mm-hmm. as personal versions. I think season one we were a bit more. Let's get the scope mm-hmm. of these faiths. I mean, I think in the in the um, Native American story we did on, on the heaven and hell. It's also in that tradition. It wasn't very personal. It's very just kind of like what are these? What what is the belief system mm-hmm. here? Yeah, yeah. Um, with 
With um, with the Christmas story, yeah, that's a completely personal interpretation. It's perfectly reasonable to have doubt about that. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, she was she was in eight minutes without oxygen. She hallucinating. Mm-hmm. She saw what she wanted to see. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no way in which there is like any. I, I don't think. But however, I don't think you need to think about that as any kind of a factual account. I, I don't see the need to think of that as a factual account. I mean, I'm not saying she's lying. She's she's saying what she believes happened. Um, uh, but this idea, I think the idea of this show was to say what are the universal hmm. human urges and thoughts about heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. And so she's a representation of that. This, this is her encapsulation of what heaven and hell means. And it felt to us like a a meaningful kind of culmination of the ideas that we've been putting out in the show is that we, the film was about how heaven and hell affect our lives here. And her personal story embodied that very Mm -hmm. well. And she went to, she went into a space, whether it's real heaven, Mm -hmm. whether it's just a medically induced oxygen deprivation, which Mm -hmm. in which some kind of few remaining brain cells kind of danced together and made Mm this myth, this, truth this yeah. inner truth to her um that's what she reports and i think that's so she is an example of this human condition this human this human tension between uh, ourselves and the afterlife yeah and, and so you said the the idea is how it relates to how we live right now yeah which is morgan freeman makes that statement after he leaves the pentecostal church in albuquerque and he says yeah. you know this changes how they view themselves and god and how they they live their life. Same yeah. thing with the Coptic Christian. Like this helps them. Assyri- the Assyrian Christians. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yes, Assyri- yes. But, yes. Forgive me. Assyrian, yeah. Um, but it changes how they were able to get through a, a dramatic and, and yeah. heartbreaking situation. Right. So that's the filter of like, how does this help you get through? Which is different than trying to make a truth claim to say this is this is the right way, but instead of saying this is how it helps them live their way. Yeah, exactly. Um, look, we're never, I mean, I think as, and you deal with this all the time. I mean, I, you know, and, and we never, we ask questions that we know we can't answer. Yeah. You know, you, every day you deal with every Sunday, whenever you do your sermons, you, yeah. you, you know that no one's going to say you're right or wrong because you're talking about things that are yeah. beyond the physical. Yeah. Um, so, but things work or don't work because people engage with them. They react to them. They feel they have some sympathy, some empathy with what you're saying. So, yeah. I think that's what we were trying to explore in that film is how do people how do people have an emotional connection with heaven and hell. Yeah. That's and that's you're right. I mean, someone in my profession every Sunday I get up and I I you know give a sermon. I I tell a few people something that I believe to be true, mm. but at the end of the day, I mean my entire existence could be based on one big lie. Like, you know, I I can't prove that. Like mm. everything's based on resurrection and I can't prove that, that happened, right. you know, or it didn't happen. But the difference with me is that like I've got like personal skin in the game, and you're able to step back and say I'm telling all these different stories, right. and you're ha- helping them get out there. So, is your ultimate hope of what you're trying to get is for people to see the different stories and and a shared sense of spirituality? Is that what you're you're pointing towards? I think, yeah. I mean, I I, I think it. The reason we made the the project is because made the whole series is to try and get people to realize that other faiths were not were were genetically related to theirs, you know, that they were Mm -hmm. all part of the same faith family Mm -hmm. and that the things that we hope for, worry about, dream about, um, are all, are all interconnected. So yeah, we wanted to, 
I think this is the 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 big message of the series is that like look our ideas of the afterlife kind of are very similar through different religions and they all have the same effect which is to try and make us into better people now and to you know um so uh, yeah you asked me about whether I step back I mean being so having stepped back from one particular faith um that's kind of by design I mean we don't want we want to we want to stand you know, as a, a in between different faith traditions, so people can come to the show and see mm-hmm. we're some kind of a bridge to another faith tradition that no one would ever see. When was the last time you got invited to a Native American ceremony? Yeah, right. I yeah. mean, would never. You, will you ever be? And you know, is that yeah. ever going to happen? Maybe if you really sort it out, we 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 spend our time as filmmakers seeking out those kind of rare connections and offering them to you in, in a glimpse. Um, that people other wouldn't people otherwise wouldn't get. And honestly, I, I've never had that opportunity, and I've never you know got to hear specifically the the Cherokee story yeah. that was told. Um, and so you you give an opportunity for people of different faiths to kind of have a a peek in the window of other faiths, which is a gift, and and I'm grateful for that. Do you ever have the um, the tension of someone who said, "Hey, I wish you would have picked a better person to represent my tradition yes. and my church." I, yes. I'm assuming that's. That's got to happen a lot because people are heavily vested in religion and they want the right person talking about their religion. Absolutely. How do you balance that? Um, well, we do more episodes <laughs> <laughs> and, and interview more people. I mean, I know that in uh, you know a couple of times, yeah, we you know we we chose a Catholic priest rather than a, a pastor. You know, we yeah. we chose a, a, a Shia Muslim rather than a Sunni. You know, there's mm-hmm. like. So, and why did you choose this guy who'd been working in a terrorist organization? Why did you choose him as the face of Islam? Well, he had a good story to tell and, yeah. and it illuminated something. So, look, people are often, <laughs> look, people are often unhappy with specific choices. There are always people out there who'll be unhappy, but most people overwhelmingly have been grateful. I mean, in season one, when we did a story on Zoroastrianism, I met, it was, we were doing a little press tour in, meeting people, several times Zoroastrians came up and said, thank you so much for hmm. showing the world our faith oh, wow. and, and sharing it with us, because you know, with them, because we, no one knows who we are, and we're really glad that people know who we are now. So uh, that happened several times, and that's incredibly That's going to be the best feeling that you could have of yeah. someone who's like, yeah, you told my story and you told it well. Yeah. yeah. But is, is the biggest criticism people are like, hey, I wish you had someone different telling my tradition story? Yes. I, yeah, that happens a lot. Um, but that's from that tradition and everyone else is like, Oh, it's so great. I learned this much about, I learned this about Islam. I learned this about, you know, Catholicism. And so most people come away with it very happy, but just, you know, there's always a, mm-hmm. a few people who yeah. uh, see things in much more de- much more magnified detail than most of us do. So obviously the second season is out now. The first season was the highest like viewed. Is that the highest rated highest- series in, in the history of national geographic channel? Wow. Which yeah. Is all because of you because you did such a great job. But maybe a subtext was that the idea of spirituality and religion is a very compelling issue that always seems to garner a lot of conversation. Yeah, I think so. I mean, well, I it's a kind of a, a surprise in a way because when we were pitching this show beforehand, everyone was like, eh, "Religion's really, really bad for ratings. People mm-hmm. don't like it because people always hate other people's traditions, and mm-hmm. you know, they it's not going to sell. God and politics is is a is a minefield. Don't do it." And, uh, so that was wrong. People were wrong, you know, and, yeah. and we were really happy that Nat Geo had faith in the idea. And, uh, and yeah, that's good. <laughs> and, 
so at the end of season two, are you going to once and for all make the definitive statement of which is the right religion? Can well, I, the last are, episode is proof of God. So we're just, no, we're not <laughs> going to do that. We're going to prove whether God exists or not uh, well, at the, season, the last minute of season two. But okay, if you decide God is true at the end of season two, season three could be you come back in and rank which one is most likely to truly do well in the afterlife. Yeah. Is that what? Yeah, BuzzFeed wants to work with us on that. So we're <laughs> getting that list together right now. Outstanding. Yeah. Well, uh, congratulations on making a great show that's done, done very well. I'm very happy it's out there. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. Cool. There you go. Yeah. It's weird. Like, I've known about you. Like, I've, I've known who you are, but I, yeah. I, like, you don't have a, you're, you're, I heard a rumor there's a book coming out like in a year. Uh, yeah, I think by the end of the year or something. Yeah. And, uh, it'd be great if I had the book and I could read it and then I could ask you questions based on it. Yeah, but that would be too easy, wouldn't it? That would be too easy. So, I've written other books. Oh, I know that. In, I know. You know they live. They they dwell in obscurity. Well, here's the thing, though. You've got a jacket that has like sparkles on the back of it. <laughs> yes. And so there's a cue that there's something different, like that you're not like a normal what, really? theologian. Is you that know? right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the earrings could pass. The hair, you know, could, could blend it, but it's really the sparkly stuff on the coat. Oh, okay. Because I have I've had a lot of professors, but none of them with a sparkly jacket. That might be the problem, though. It, 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 you know what? You're probably onto something there. Yeah. So you're. I, I think all theologians need a little sparkle. Really? What about yeah. pastors? Oh, they need more than sparkle, <laughs> but you know, they need some glitter. Yeah, they need glitter. Uh, I, so the story is, you were like a in the music industry, ACDC. You were like a sound engineer. Yeah, I was a roadie, sound engineer, technician person. Yeah. Yeah. How long did you do that? Um, well, I was. I I, I did. A number of things, but with ACDC, for uh, you know, five, through their ascendancy, really, mm-hmm. so five or six, seven years, something like that. I'm sure there was no craziness, no wild stories. No, it was really mundane. Yeah, you probably just. Well, no, I mean, of course, it, it, it's everything that you expect and more, <laughs> and it's everything you presume and less. Okay. In in that, of course, it's uh, sex and drugs and rock and roll. You know, it, it kind of goes with the territory. You know, the the sort of uh, outer edges of youth culture mm-hmm. and um, hedonistic lifestyle and and all of that kind of stuff. But that, as as I've said to people, though, it's also work. It's a band trying to make an impact in an industry and everybody who's there has a job to do. Mm-hmm. And it's actually quite, I don't know if it's a hard job, can be hard. It's long hours. It's like, so I say, it's like you run away to the circus and every night is theater, mm-hmm. but you're also the people taking down the circus tent, driving it to the next town and putting it up. And in between there, there are moments and times of extreme everything. Mm -hmm. But it's also, you know, I mean, when, when I was the earliest times when I was touring with AC, when we first came to America, um, it was me and a friend of mine as the crew and the band in a car and a truck. And we crisscrossed America, um, while they tried to break, you know, into the uh, 
sort of upper levels. So you're it was that a, early on? Yeah, I was the first American. I, I joined, I joined them when they moved from Australia to uh, England. They were well known in Australia, unheard of everywhere else. So, um, so I was there at the beginning. And by the end of that tour, we had like 30 people on the crew and five trucks, but it began with a car and a rider rental truck. And we were driving four or 500 miles a night, like 10 or 12 hours every night, uh, to be third on the bill opening for like Kiss, Blue Oyster Cult, Aerosmith, some other bands. We'd get 20 minutes. We'd no sound check. They'd go on the stage. They'd do a 20 minute set. We'd pack up and we'd drive to the next place. We did that for months. Wow. Okay. So, and- you know, so you can go, yes, yeah, sex, drugs and rock and roll. Woohoo. Also, truck stops, bad food, uh, sleepless nights, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not complaining or judge, but you know. Yeah. You said they were trying to make an impact. Yeah. Okay. That word is interesting because you, you think of a rock, and I don't know the rock culture at all. I don't know music culture at all, to be honest. Oh, we should end down then. I'm just being honest. Like, I just don't know it. We can talk sports. I can do sports. But yeah, I, see, you lose me there. Yeah, see, we're, we're, we're at an impasse here. I have a sparkly jacket, doesn't that <laughs> I mean, I know a little bit, I know a little bit about football, which, you know, is now delineated, um, uh, as soccer here in, in that's in, funny. In, yeah. In, in America. Okay. But, but when you said making an impact. Yeah. Was there a sense of like that? Let's like to say like a church word like that, like a sense of like we're doing something, or this like we're trying to break in and we're trying to let our music get out there. Well, I, th- I think they're probably one and the same, really. I mean, I, I I can't say that that they they would necessarily suit use the same ideas, but the, you know they're trying to build an audience, they're trying to gain fans, yeah, they're trying to, if you like preach and declare their music. Well, what is like, what, what kind of impact do you think that they're trying to make? I mean, obviously the impact of, you know, personal success, band success, that makes sense. That's sure. normal. The word impact seemed like it was an outlier in that sentence. Like it seems like it didn't fit in my oh. well, I, ignorance. Because, well, because I think, I think music, music culture is about the impact that it has upon people. The, the, the way in which it, um, alters, someone's life when you come into contact with a particular kind of music mm-hmm. that opens up spaces inside you um, to express what perhaps you haven't been able to express to give voice to the things that you feel. It's why I, th- yeah. I think it's why people are so fervently attached to bands because they see them as points of contact with um, emotion and ideas that they feel yeah and it's a, a spectrum some of it is you just want to dance so you mm-hmm. go here a dance band but there are others i mean you know there's a reason people go oh bob dylan he was the voice of a generation mm-hmm. that's some serious impact when somebody says that's the voice of a generation somebody who was impacted by dylan's voice came up with that idea yeah that millions of other people went absolutely so there's impact in uh in, in uh, music. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think there's a spirituality. So that's what I was trying to say. No, no, that's, I, yeah. I liked how you said it. That was good. You're yeah. doing great. <laughs> Sorry about the voice. Um, it sounds great. The yeah. accent even sounds. Yeah, I think it sounds sexy on, on uh, yeah. you know, in a microphone. When I think of you, I think sexy. Yeah. That's well, you the, know, sparkly jacket, sexy voice. That's the whole thing. This really should be a video. It should be, really. Because I feel Except like. Except I hate being on camera. 
But well, you know what? They hate that you're not on camera. So uh, that's quite a conundrum here. Uh, I like to dwell in the shadows. Okay. Let's talk about it. I, I'm fascinated by this. So I've been developing this idea because I come from a weird, I, I shouldn't have said weird because people are going to hear that. I come from a tradition in like American Christianity called yeah. the Churches of Christ that have had this antithetical position towards music. Oh, the no, the non, the yeah, non, non-instruments. Yeah. yeah. You no, know, I, I did a, a, a chapel, um, for, um, I think Pepperdine University. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is Church of Christ. Yeah, that's one of us. I, I did it on YouTube. You did? Yeah. They're like, who is this? You- no. Years, Pepper- years, years and years and years ago, but I did it on music. Well, well, that's smart. <laughs> I know that, I know they only use voices and I think there's a beauty to that. And um, there is. And like but, in the, the best of our tradition is like, there's a yeah. beauty in the simplicity of it yeah. and the participatory nature of it. I mean, I, I, I could, you know, tell you lots of things about why I think it wouldn't work for me. Tell but- me why. Because I like music. Okay, well, the church and, and I don't, and I don't find it inconsistent in the way that they do, like ideologically. But I don't care. Well, okay, the church I'm a part of, we have an instrumental service. Yeah, and but anyway, let's go back to the fact that you're in a weird tradition. No, let's not talk about that. I'm going to edit that out now. <laughs> no, you're not. No, okay. <laughs> no, I actually wouldn't do that at all. But it's a tradition that that yeah. the best of us says yeah. we love our tradition and the music. The worst of us says it's like a sin to have instruments, and that's just cancerous. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's still music, and and. Even without instruments, they're still making music. Exactly. That's one of my... Yes, I agree. It's not like... You know, you can make music without instruments. People do it all the time. It's called um, electronica. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's... You know, technically, that's music without instruments. Mm -hmm. That's music with technology. And voice is a technology as well. So you're making melody, and you're combining sounds, and you're creating an arc, an Mm. emotional arc that people enter into. It's music. It's so, just uh, a form and a variation of uh, style, you know, yeah. bass, drums, guitar, bass, drums, guitar, keyboard, vocals, all vocals, doo-wop, street corner doo-wop, mm-hmm. Church of Christ, no uh, instruments, both the same. It's just the voice as instrument. Do you think I could get away with, like, the chain smokers? Uh, do you know that band is? Yeah, I like that song. Do you think I or could I like get that. away with that in my acapella service if I just say, hey, technically it's just voices and technology? Do you think that would work? Well, I, well no, of course it wouldn't uh, work. It, Come wouldn't, on. it wouldn't work because because of the biases and the prejudice built into that. Uh-huh. But, just go know, with me on that. that yeah, that but, was but sure, I think you can. Thank you. Thank you. I All think right. you should actually. <laughs> a, because the idea of doing a song by a band called The Chainsmokers <laughs> um, in, in, in uh, you know, because churches can be a little uptight about smoking. We're, we're Austin, you know. We're yeah, Austin. Everybody's weird anyway. That's exactly. why you use the word weird. Yeah, because we're keeping Austin weird. That's a term of and affinity. So yeah, it should probably be keep the Church of Christ in Austin weird. Look, at, man, you're killing this. See, you are like I can run with it. My people from our church are going to just love you. Yeah. Well, I like Austin, and I'll, I'll be there in. Oh, uh, <gasps> that's right. You're coming for uh, every year. I, t- I take a class to South by Southwest. Someone was just telling me about that. We usually miss the acapella section of the um, this thing be- on 6th Street. But, you know, maybe this year. <laughs> this could be the year. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in Austin when all the churches leave Austin. Well. When all the heathens come I'm in to there, celebrate though. that dirty rock and roll. We're going we're gonna to need to follow up on that because there's yeah. a whole other conversation about what you're doing in Austin then. Uh, but I want to go back to the theology of music. Sure. Can we do that? Absolutely. Did you watch the Netflix show uh, Stranger Things? A little bit of it, yeah. Okay. I don't know about you, but for me, I 
have not been more aware of the sound, like the scoring of a show. Sure. Then like that one seemed like it was very emphasized in my experience of it. And it told part of the story in a way that I was more acutely aware of the music telling the story than I usually am. And that's interesting. Yeah. I, th- I think, I mean, you're younger than me and, and I think stranger things has a lot of resonances with American a particular era of American youth culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a little bit of nostalgia attached to it as well. Fair enough, yeah. And, and I think uh, the musical choices in the show reflect a little bit of that. You know, they connect with mm-hmm. that, that whole thing. But, but for me, um, and, and I think there are, there are, there are certain films or television shows or things where, where we're more acutely aware of, the place that music plays. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you go, for instance, and watch a film, the meaning in the film doesn't just come through the story. It comes through the story. That's the verbal telling of the tale. Mm-hmm. It comes through the visual components. Mm-hmm. So the way it looks mm-hmm. tells you what's going on so if they're all wearing like wide brim hats and pointy shoes and they've got guns on their hips you might be in a western do do you know what i mean yeah and and then the music sets it in place and cues the emotional arc of the film that's Mm -hmm. why i went so stranger things i would say that the reason you respond so acutely to that music mm-hmm. is because it's really well done mm-hmm. in terms of achieving its purpose, mm-hmm. which is to draw you into the emotional arc of the story. Because music for me is about creating emotional environments in which people can discover themselves. Okay, so take that same thought and analyze how churches do music. It's funny, we just had a little bit of that conversation in, in, in an earlier thing. Um, well, I, the, the, the whole issue with, uh, music in churches is, is, is quite complicated because, um, you know, now we call it worship, mm-hmm. you know, and worship music. And I, 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 I so it's become a sort of genre. Uh, uh, of its mm-hmm. own and and it's a very broad spectrum you know there's contemporary worship there's traditional stuff you yep, know yep. it's hymnody you know um and all those kind of things um but what i would say is music is music and music functions uh in particular particular ways music has rules by which it operates and uh can you explain the rules well you know so uh if if you want to play jazz there are some things that you need to know and understand about what jazz is mm-hmm. in order to be able to play it you know it's about improvisation mm-hmm. it's about uh taking a melody and expanding upon it and essentially it's intellectually exploring and opening up and teasing out things in the music that that, that are hidden in the mm-hmm. notes that aren't being played. You know, mm-hmm. Miles Davis always used to tell his musicians, play what's not there, play what's not written down. Mm. So it's in the chord of G, 
So you know what the G chord is, but what about all the bits that aren't there? You know, okay. so so every form of music has its rules. Rock, bass, drums, guitar, screaming vocal. You know, it's mm-hmm. those four components. And that makes up where the music, that's mm-hmm. what, and, the, and the, uh, as I said to somebody earlier uh, today, the meaning of a, a song is not exclusively in the lyrics. It's in the combination of the lyrics with the instrumentation. And collectively, it creates a feeling. Music isn't it, music. There's a philosopher, Susan Langer, um, who who said that 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 music is a presentational language, meaning it's a symbolic language. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you because if you take a lot of songs, Christian, non-Christian, you mm-hmm. know, secular, whatever, and you just separate them, you put the lyrics down. You look at the lyrics and they go, "Well, that's not that big of a deal." You know, it's, you know, the Beatles, I want to hold your hand. You know, she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a love like that, you know, you can't be sad. Well, why does that turn the world on its ear? Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't alone. They're just empty words. But combined with bass, drums, guitar, harmony, voices, melody, there's a collective environment that people get drawn into. No different in church. So the lines that we draw, you know, this is sacred music, that's secular music, has a has more to do with a, a perspective on a form of music rather than function yeah. uh, uh, of 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 music. So in church, but but music in churches serves a different purpose. Um, the purpose, it seems to me, of music these days is we always sing it before somebody gets up and speaks kind of softens the room which is why i i my, it, it sort of proves my point you you sing you know and there, there are all those jokes you know you know it's like three fast songs one medium song and then like a really slow song you know get everybody feeling really weepy and open then someone comes up and prays a prayer and then you get speaking well that's because somebody used the music to create a mood in the room mm-hmm. and what's achieved is achieved as much through the playing of the music as the words that anybody sung. It's an emotional journey. But it has a particular intention in church, and it's to do that, is mm-hmm. to prepare people to receive the word of God that a lot of people say, right? Mm-hmm. That's the role of worship. I, I think that's a bit one-dimensional, personally. You know, I think there are other ways that music could be put to use in churches, and maybe sometimes you don't need somebody then to get up and give a whole bunch of... Okay, as the person who gets up and gives a whole bunch of And I've done words, the same, you know. I think that that is the most important part, and I think we'd all agree on that. But what are other ways... I just disagree, hypoth- but, no. but hypothetically... Uh, let's go down this rabbit trail. What are other ways that music could function in church? Well, you could just sing and not not do anything else. Okay, that's a terrible idea. Well, no, it depends on what you know. You no, could actually... I, it's a terrible idea for me to keep my job. So, well, no, because you could then go. It was your idea. Oh yeah, so I could See? get a week off. Yeah, well, I didn't think of a week off. You'd be more like you know the the curator. Oh, of the curator. A, yeah. Of a okay, no, no, no. Seriously, let's go down the street. Well, I, you know, I, I, I think you could use. Use music. It's, I, I don't really like to use that word, but employ mm-hmm. music a, a, as a means of exp- like you know. Have you ever been to like a, a sort of full on gospel church mm-hmm. where the preacher preaches, but he half sings. He's singing it too, yeah. And he's got an now. I I recommend that. I mean, and this probably is reverse racist or something. I recommend that most white, white people don't do that. You yeah. know. No. Um, as, 
Yeah, I, but you know what I mean. But but by the same token, there are ways in which there can be more less of a, a distinction and more of a blend and a marriage of those things. Mm-hmm. We live in a world that's immersed in music. Mm-hmm. You know, you you go into a store and there's no music on it. It feels kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are people that make music uh, playlists for supermarkets. That's their job. Yeah. Because there's a very... Uh, there's a field they want. There's a field, and there are things that get achieved by music mm-hmm. in supermarkets. Particular kind of musics draw people in. Mm-hmm. You know, So you're not going to go into a supermarket probably and hear Metallica. Probably not. That's a fair assessment. Unless it's in Hollywood. And then, <laughs> then, it, then it doesn't, uh, anything can go there. But you, but you know what I mean? So, so I yeah. just think, I, 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 I think we tend to, in church, we tend to think there's only one purpose for anything. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I always say, yeah, there's one thing that you know, but there's probably 20 things that you don't. So experiment a little. So I don't really have a, 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 a plan or a set of things that you can do. Mm-hmm. But one thing you could try is just blending rather than keeping separate. And also the sparkly jacket. And the sparkly well. jacket. But you know, I mean, if, if you're in a liturgical church, I mean, men wear frocks, you know, men wear dresses. <laughs> so they should, and you know, What's they, in- they're not afraid of rainbow stuff. So a little sparkle wouldn't hurt. No, that wouldn't be, this is, this is what I wear. Well, sometimes I, so you go for the gray tones. I, I like, you I, must be colorblind like Pete Rollins. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't expect it to be this cold. And this is the only long sleeve shirt I had. It's, just oh, my so, running yeah, it's shirt California. Like it's, you know, it must be I'm like, not expecting that. So yeah. I've, I've had this struggle of, I really don't like the idea of the phrase worship pastor. I wish you could just say musician because the musician. Well, you see, I, I think you should say musician, but, but there are so many biases. There's so much work to be done in churches around what is really going on with things Mm -hmm. that I, 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 it, it troubles me sometimes that, that we just are so still hung up on so many things, still debating whether or not you should be able to play this music or that music in a church. You know, this is sanctified. That's not sanctified. It's just music. It's just music. But you, you've kind of elevated the music and the instrumentation, the sound, and in some ways devalued the lyrics. I don't no, think you're devalued, but no, the way I'm it's just the- putting them in a different place. Yeah, and now, I think you're right. Let I me, think you're. Although, sorry, what I was going to say though, there, there, there is a little difference when it comes to Christian music, and that is that there's a different primacy presumed in uh, in in, in uh, music, and that is that we view music as as a sort of propaganda tool. So we 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 want to make sure that certain things are said in our lyrics, you know. I mean, I, I personally wonder, really, um, if you listen to the content of most church worship services, it seems like God is incredibly in need of being told how fantastic he is all the time. And I worry about that stuff. Like, it's like, really? It's like he doesn't get it? Like, if, if that God exists, I'm pretty sure he knows that he's all-powerful and probably doesn't need to be told that. You know what I mean? That direction, I, I, I find that... I. It troubles me, and, and I think it's it's unnecessary. But but nevertheless, um, you know there there is that dynamic that the words have a, a particularly elevated level of uh, importance. But I would still say my theory holds true. I, I was at this this uh, 
church and uh, is an Episcopal church. And, you know, Episcopalians, they're a breed much like Church of Christ. You know, they've got their own things. And, they, you know, they, they, they don't like, they don't go for the pop stuff very much. Mm-mm. So the only time really an Episcopalian's going to raise their hands above their waist is at Easter. Yeah, that's the big one. They'll, you know, they'll and that. so this this one church, part of their Easter ritual was they they sang this song, "I'm the bread of life" or something. Okay, yeah. You know, and uh, sounds it, Jesus-y. And, and it's very theologically, it's really troubling. There's a lot of blood in it, you know, and it's like you know, you dig into some of those old hymns, and the theological content is a bit dodgy. And so this new minister came in and really disapproved of the theological content of the song. So they wanted to cut out the verses that offended. Mm-hmm. Well, what they didn't realize was nobody actually in the church really paid attention to the content of the song and the experience of the song was what they were yep. having. And when they cut those verses out and abbreviated the length of the song, the dynamic that everybody, because what happened was, you know, it's like four or five verses mm-hmm. and it would go around and it would build until the end. Everybody felt like able to like hoist their arms up into the air and let themselves go for once in the year. Yep. And the song was the arc in which that would happen, but it only worked if the song could build in a certain way. And it built in that way, not because they had to sing the literal content of the fourth verse. It was that the fourth verse was the next stage in the build. Yep. And if you took that out, you lost the meaning of the song. Mm-hmm. And I tried to tell this person, the meaning of this song is not in the bad theology of the song. It's in the experience that's been attached to it. And we forget that about music. Mm-hmm. It's not what it says. It's usually the association. That's why, you, that's why a lot of people, their musical horizons are stuck at their high school graduation. That yeah. song, because their whole teenage hormone explosion is attached to Green Day or Michael W. Smith or whatever oh, terrible, you know, <laughs> Christian high school graduation they went to. <laughs> so, do you know? Do you know what I mean? That, I've and met, it's yeah. not. It's not the song in the sense. If you tear it apart and go, oh well, it's bad lyrics and stuff like that. It's not that. Mm-hmm. It's all that's associated with that, the feeling, the warmth, the hope, yeah. the aspiration, the yearning, the need, the release, all of that stuff. That's my take on music. I think you're right. Okay, we're out of time. Uh, yeah. We're supposed to talk about the story of God. Just say it's good. The story of God's uh, really good. Second, <laughs> second season is three episodes, um, so it's abbreviated, but in some ways uh, the the episodes are a little more expansive, so it's worth watching. <laughs> That was a great interview about the story of God. Brilliant. I think uh, I think we really nailed the essence of what that show's about. And everybody needs some sparkle on the back of their jacket. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks you are for checking awesome. out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.